Looking to improve your employee retention? Start by perfecting your onboarding and training experience for new hires. Check out Trainual to see how they can help you scale your growth and make onboarding easier and more efficient than ever. Check out the link in the show description or on the Manufacturing Culture Podcast partner page at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Hello, and welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we explore company culture in the fascinating world of manufacturing. I'm your host, Jim Mayer. Today's episode features Steve Tomasi, CEO of Boston Centerless and Woburn Mass. As a second-generation entrepreneur passionate about business, Steve understands the power of operational excellence and managing a core values-based business in a lean manufacturing environment. His leadership has resulted in a world-class manufacturing operation and the Northeast Shingo Prize Silver Medal. For over 30 years, Steve has actively led efforts to improve and expand workforce development for precision machining at the local and national levels as a team leader and as a team member for the National Tooling and Machining Association. He also led the National Robotics League for the past decade and is founder and board member of the Adult E-Team Machinist Training Program. Steve serves as a board member for the National Tooling and Machining Foundation, and Boston Centerless is a sponsor and mentor for the Winchester Mass High School Robotics Team. Steve holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Operations Research and Industrial Engineering from Cornell University. He also graduated from the Owner-President Management Program at Harvard Business School. In this episode, I'll talk to Steve about his experience in the manufacturing industry, the cultural journey of Boston Centerless, and his passion for workforce development. So let's dive in and learn from an experienced and knowledgeable leader in the manufacturing industry. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the culture of manufacturing. Hey, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jim. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for being on. Really appreciate you taking uh, time out of your busy day. No, thanks for having me. So, Steve, before we jump into some of these uh, questions, uh, tell us more about Boston Centerless. How many employees do you have? What What do you do? What What kind of work are, are you working on right now? Sure. Uh, so, Boston Centerless... Uh, we have about 130 employees, and um, we are a supplier of uh, precision rounds, precision round, m- primarily metal bars. We do other types of materials as well, and you know, all different types of metals and some plastics. Um, and we're selling into component manufacturers, be it OEMs or contract manufacturers, making very high precision round components. So. Um, about half of our business, maybe a little bit more, is medical device implants and instruments, dental implants. Uh, so a lot of titanium and stainless steels <clears throat> for things like screws and drills and reamers and things of that nature. Yeah. That's the major part of our business. We also sell into aerospace, high-pressure valves and fittings and things of that nature, as well as space now as a kind of a burgeoning um industry sure um and then you know really anywhere there's a uh a real high precision uh round component the potential customer of ours so um 
you know, we're, we're producing 12 foot long bars and holding uh, like two ten ten thousandths of an inch across that entire length. Wow. So really, really precise, which enables our customers to, you know, with that type of consistency and lack of variation in the raw material, they can build their processes um, to a point where they can remove labor. Um, we've got a term that we use, if you can't find skilled labor by skilled material. So you're able to build your processes because of that consistency. Um, they run, you know, you get better uh, productivity, better tool life, but less cost input to produce the part. So um, part of the reason that we're growing, I think, so rapidly right now is that, um, as everybody knows, it's tough to find people. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we can offer a solution uh, that at least minimizes the need for additional uh, labor. Yeah, absolutely. And Steve, you're you're an integral part of the manufacturing supply chain, but you're also a manufacturer yourself. Uh, so you you are you faced with some of the same uh, challenges that uh, machine shops, aerospace, medical device uh, manufacturers are facing out there with workforce development. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's always a challenge. And I think, um, it, you know, it's always been there in the manufacturing sector uh, to, to, to attract, you know, and retain and build on whatever success you had, you know, getting good people on board. And I think today you just need to be even more focused and more creative in, in how you go about, you know, again, attracting and retaining employees. Yeah. And we'll get to some of the specifics behind what you've done, um, but it's it's definitely a, a changing world and a, a changing workforce. And we've always experienced this, at least in the 20 plus years that I've been in the industry, uh, of generational changes and, and the difference that uh, each generation has as far as what they need from uh, their work. But I think uh, the events of the last three years have really exacerbated that a little bit. Would you agree with that? I would, I would absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. Okay. okay. So let's talk a little bit more about Boston Centerless and, and the cultural journey. So when did you come into the picture at uh, Boston Centerless and, and what was the culture like when, when you came in, in into the picture there? So, you know, that's a, that's a, um, a, a very important question, I think. Um, so the, the company is, uh, we're in our 60, 50 year business. Uh, my dad started it, you know, kind of, uh, one machine in a garage at night. Right. Mm -hmm. So he, he, he built a very successful business and I came on board in 87. So okay. you know, coming up on 36 years at this point, um, and when I came on board, you know, just mid twenties, you know, trying to learn the business and everything. And, um, it was, uh, you know, pretty traditional culture kind of top down, um, type business in, in, in those years. And as I got more and more involved, it wasn't necessarily how I wanted to participate in a business or how I wanted to ultimately lead a business. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started to observe that there were, you know, um, cliques and different factions and, 
you know, people weren't always treating other people with the, you know, uh, the respect that they deserve, no matter what position you were in. And so, um, that, that was kind of the Genesis is really like, I, you know, we need to, we need to change things. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not here to just tell everybody what to do all the time. Um, that's no way to, to build things. And so when, you know, we, learned about kind of lean manufacturing back then um in the early 90s um we were trying to figure out you know how do we how do we launch something and we saw a company speak at um, an association meeting uh that had been doing a lot of consulting in the space and were really intrigued with their approach because it started with people it started with culture. They kind of had four quadrants. You had um, the people side, um, lean tools, quality systems, and information systems. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how they broke it up. And um, so we decided to, to contract with them. And that was the beginning of our cultural change. And we started with the people side. And wow. as part of that kind of exercise to launch things, um, we knew that we needed a set of core values and we solicited input from the entire organization at that time, which was kind of unheard of, you know, a lot yeah. of people and some of the, the veterans are like, okay, what's this all about? Um, a lot of skepticism kind of sitting on the fence type thing. Um, and you know, it was, it was the catalyst that kind of uh, drove things from that point forward. And it takes a long time, you know, to change a culture. Uh, yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. And um, especially, especially when you're starting from, I think, uh, quite a stark difference from where you want to go. Um, yeah. you, you've you've got to have, you know, incredible intestinal fortitude um, and be willing to take a step back to take two forward in certain, you know, junctures in the journey and um and we we were committed and um and you know it's been you know absolutely tremendous to see the the uh the evolution you know over the last you know almost 20 almost 30 years at this point since we kind of started on our journey to really change how we did things and you know that's how we neat. operated that's neat uh steve before we get to where you are currently Talk to us about that process behind defining your core values and have they changed over the years? Have they evolved to something different than they were in the early nineties when, when you first went through that exercise? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well. And so we, um, <clears throat> we spent hours um, with the management team working through the, you know, asking each individual What's important to you? Um, not so much the business, but personally. What are your personal values? How yeah. do you want to show up every day, right? Mm -hmm. And so we did a bunch of brainstorming um, and just continued to whittle it down and wordsmith it to hell. And, you know, really, really a lot of time that if you kind of look back, sometimes you say, Jesus, you know, was it worth it? In a sense that, like, if you're looking purely at the amount of time and effort to come up with at that point, three words, and then the kind of the definitions beneath them. Mm -hmm. um, but as I said, you know, 
and and then what we did is we we floated that out to small groups throughout the organization to get additional input and feedback and okay. we distilled all that into three core values at the time it was teamwork integrity and quality okay mm -hmm. what makes boston sendless tick right that was our kind of tagline um and it has evolved twice since then um as we you know um started bringing new people in and the company really started to grow and there were a lot of employees that didn't go through the initial training or weren't part of the creation of those, we recognized that it was important for us to develop an education program. Mm. Um, we also have an extremely diverse workforce. And um, what, you know, teamwork or, you know, uh, integrity, um, you know, wh what it meant. And as we evolved, we found that there were certain elements that um we needed to explain so we need to have an education right so um the first evolution i'm not sure exactly when it was um sometime in uh, i think the um you know maybe within 10 years uh, okay. early 2000s um we decided to change um the the words a little bit so we didn't want to lose the essence of what it is but um we started with um, uh, trust, okay. um, initiative. Uh, we wanted to add some a piece in there that kind of focused on that kind of continuous improvement mentality, you know, always looking to, you know, inch along and be better and better and better, right? So that was kind of to take the initiative to, yep. to try to improve things. Um, team first. Right. Okay. So, and, and then excellent. So team first instead of teamwork. Okay. What we, what we determined is, you know, we, we're going to, you know, teamwork is like, um, it's hard to, for people to, to put that into practice. But if you say put the team first, it's very explicit. Yeah. What you're trying to get after. Right. So that was one evolution. And then quality just everybody just focused on product quality, the quality of the product that going out and not quality of the service or anything. So we, we shifted that to strive for excellence. Got so, it. and it really made it, you know, kind of cross-functional, you know, and could be adopted across the entire organization. And, and um, did you go through the same process where you elicited the, the feedback from at all levels of the organization at that point? Um, you know, I'm not sure we went that far because they were more nuanced in a way. And we sure. didn't want to lose. So we weren't trying to create anything. We were just trying to make it more applicable. Yeah. And then we had trust at one point. Um, and what we learned in, in our in our educational um process, you know, we had, we had small classroom and we're going through and we're basically telling people, you know, to trust other people. And some feedback, some of the employees were like, well, I can't trust that person. Mm. You're asking me to trust somebody that I can't trust. And so we flipped it on its head and we said, okay, if everybody be trustworthy. So if, if control, what you can control is yourself. And what does it mean to be trustworthy? Well, you've got to have the highest integrity, but you also have to be competent. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to do your job. 
somebody's going to hand you the ball and pass it on from one step to the next, and they want to be ensured that, you know, it's going to get done right. That's how you build trust. Mm-hmm. And with trust comes speed. So, so that's where kind of the evolution took place is we got feedback in that sense as to the effectiveness of the core values and how well they could be interpreted and acted on. And I mean, that last, you know, kind of iteration, I think has been tremendous for our organization. Awesome. Um, And so where are the values now? So it's um, be trustworthy, take initiative, put the team first and strive for excellence. Those are our core values. Got it. And then, and then one last piece is, you know, we really have always had a very, you know, kind of operational excellence focus mm-hmm. on the back end, all operations and everything else. And it's not that, you know, we value streamed all different aspects and even, you know, uh, front office type processes and everything. But the one area where we felt we just weren't living up to our, the bar that we had set to be world class was on the service side hmm. and not just externally to our customers but internally to our internal customers, right? There were, there were, you know, there was pushback and there was this, and it just, it just wasn't at the level. It was good, but it wasn't great. Interesting. So three years ago, we contracted with a customer service consulting company, mm-hmm. um, kind of a, a world renowned. Um, I had read, read one of his books, um, uh, Secret Service, okay. and I was just enthralled with uh, that. And then, and and that that we that I read that years ago. But we finally got to a point we had kind of the proper staffing, the management level to you know enact something like this. So we went on a two day, took a cross functional team offsite for two days, and developed a service vision and service pillars. Okay. So. That is part of now what we call the BC way. The BC way is kind of one wheel is core purpose, core values. Our core purpose is to be a role model for U.S. manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we really want people focused on wanting to be part of a team that sets the example. Got it. And does things the right way. Not just what we do, but how we do it. And then you've got the service on the other piece. So, um. Those elements, so our service vision has raised the bar with every interaction, Mm -hmm. right? So we now, the beauty of the core values and now the service vision is when you you bring people in, they they understand what the expectations are. And as you go forward, you can have conversations in any aspect of the business around these principles. So if somebody is not living up to a certain aspect, you know, I mean, if you're not showing up, right, you're not putting the team first. Yeah. Right. So if you've got tenants issues, so, you know, just different things like that, you know, sloppiness, not following through, whatever. So we tie it to these things and it's just, it, it, it's, it, we've made a transformation um, on our customer service side. And that I think has propelled our growth as, as of late. I mean, we get, we're getting feedback all the time where, you guys have kind of go above and beyond, which is part of our, our service, uh, you know, uh, pillars is to, do, you know, be extraordinary. Yeah. Really make people feel as though um, they're special. 
and that's you know you need the right people and we've turned over the entire customer experience team well no i shouldn't say the entire probably probably three or four long term but we have nine people in there so Mm-hmm. We got people in with the right mindset that were excited to deliver that kind of service. And it's just been amazing. That's great. So. That's really great. Uh, so along those lines, Steve, where where is the culture now? Where uh, wh- How do you feel the culture uh, is of Boston Centerless now, uh, now that you're doing this with the internal and external customer service? You, you've got these core values. Uh, you've got your core purpose. Do you feel your your culture is pretty strong right now? It and Jim, in all my years, it's the best it's ever been. Really, um, I mean, I, I and and I don't have to be the one pushing it. Yeah, it's it's truly organic. Um, we've got people throughout our organization that have, um, you know, just done an unbelievable job and in, in living the core values day in and day out. So there's no substitute for, you know, walking the talk, as I say, mm-hmm. when you have, you know, you know, three quarters or 80% of your workforce, you know, striving for that. I mean, we do a, um, an employee, um, engagement survey, um, mm-hmm. once every 12 to 18 months. And, and it, 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 it pretty much every single time we do the survey, the one thing that our employees grade out the highest is our culture. That's great. They love the culture and like don't ever waver and everything else. And they're not afraid to call out senior management if they're not acting in those lines. Now we've got just a superb team right now and it all comes down to people. I mean, Mm -hmm. and we just have a really unselfish, you know, humble, servant leader kind of mentality throughout the organization. So I couldn't be more, you know, uh, proud of, of the work that everybody has done. And, you know, and we reinforce it right with a lot of different activities and, um, programs and, you know, ways to recognize, and it's really always kind of top of mind so that we just, we're constantly showing that, it's important and yeah. not just, you know, we'll take the time to ensure that, that, that this is felt in the organization and not just said. So I can hear the pride in your voice, Steve. Uh, I've known you for a number of years now and, and I can hear the pride in your voice when you're talking about the, the team and, and the culture and, uh, you know, and it's very evident, like you said earlier, you don't have to be the only one promoting it anymore, right? Because yep. you look on social media and any time that Boston Centerless is posting something or even tagged in something from an employee, you can see that that cultural uh, vibe. It's really, uh, it's pretty neat to, to watch from an outside perspective. Uh, and that's why you're on the show today to talk about <laughs> your your cultural journey. Um, so, with the, all that being said, uh, and the pride that that your employees have, is that helping you with that recruiting effort? Right, because you've built such a, a healthy culture. Are your employees in out able to help in the recruiting effort, so you don't have to put as many job postings? You've got a, a healthy pipeline, etc. 
Yeah, and, you know, <clears throat> I think that's that's been the case um, for you know a, a real long time. I mean, we've always, you know, we it since we started on this journey anyway, or at least you know say five years in. So it was since the two thousands, we always had a a place where referrals were the number one um, uh, reason, or you know, for for the the number one portion of uh, recruits coming in. Um, but now I'd say it's absolutely having an impact. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I would say it's probably 50 to, you know, 60% of the new employees we get are referrals. Wow. Um, so it's really strong. Um, people are psyched. I mean, it helps when you're doing well. Right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, one thing, um, we, uh, you know, we built early on as part of this process is a gain sharing program. And uh, it's designed to um, focus on the customer, mm -hmm. um, but provide re reward as the company, you know, does um, hit certain milestones. So, you know, they have to hit a target for we're always looking to grow and we don't make that bar very high, but we're looking to push that forward. Um, and then you have an on-time delivery to original promise date for the customer and you have a cost of quality which is records all of our internal and external rework and scrap uh, as a percentage of sales. And so if they hit those three um, targets, then we flip over to a cost factor mm. and it's, it's kind of a, um, uh, it's a little bit of a trumped up gross margin um, basically. Um, but w anything that we beat that target by um, there's a formula that gets added it becomes a percentage of whatever their w2 is for the year wow. so we just had our largest payout in company history literally yesterday and today i'm handing out the bonus checks um best day of the year and just you know, i can only imagine absolutely jacked um <laughs> you know it's uh but it's a great it's a great program um and it again kind of aligns um everybody with the company's goals and vision, you know, for performance levels that are just been tremendous. And so it's showing up in so many different ways. And, you know, when I talk to different people, um, you know, in the industry or, you know, um, uh, just, just, just our bank or, you know, anybody that's not necessarily in the industry. Sure. And I talk about, you know, they'll say, what's your, you know, what's your differentiator? What's your, and the, the number one differentiator for us is culture. That's awesome. Because we could not, we are so flexible and um, responsive and reliable for our customers. And that can't happen unless you have everybody kind of rowing in the same direction and everybody yeah. bought in on what it is you're trying to do. And, you know, I've, I've seen it, I've seen it when it hasn't worked, right? Cause there have been times over the 30 years that, you know, we didn't have it all right. And, you know, we might've had wrong people in the wrong seats or whatever. And, you know, it takes time to work through those things and you got to build trust back up again. So I've just seen it, you know, kind of ebb and flow, but we just happen to be right now in a really good space. That's awesome. And, and that kind of your last statement there leads me to uh, a thought I just had. What are some of the challenges over the 30 years that you've faced in maintaining a positive and productive company culture in, in such a fast-paced uh, and, and demanding industry uh, that ma is manufacturing? 
Uh, challenges almost invariably come down to people. Um, okay. And, you know, if you're not acting on people that aren't aligned and, and behaving and, you know, kind of living with the BC way, the core values and the, and the services, you, you, you've got to face that head on. And that's yeah. challenging, especially when they're, they're adding value um, or they have talent. Um, but they choose, you know, not to, you know, play well as a team, you know, put the team first, for instance, mm-hmm. um, you know, and y- if you don't act on that in, in the sense of trying to change it or, you know, work that person out, um, that could be really damaging and, but it's challenging to do that. And yeah. you have to, you have to be willing and others in the organization, in the organization have to be willing to pick up the pieces. Because, you know, any sort of transition like that, they're not typically, you know, smooth. You've, yeah. you've got to, you know, you're going to have a period of time where you've got to cover for that role or whatever. Um, and, you know, if people are just throwing up their hands and rolling their eyes and like, you know, why do I have to do this extra work? And, all, you know, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's really about, you know, defining. And then I think one of the other challenges is that when you – when you're growing pretty rapidly, you, you, you have to work through these inflection points where the organization needs a complete restructuring. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, um, not all of the people understand like, geez, we're doing great. Why do we got to change? Right. Um, yeah. or, you know, they're not capable of, they might've been capable, capable of taking you from point A to point B, but they're not going to take you from point B to point C. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it. So, so you've got to kind of deal with some of those, um, you know, issues as you go. So Steve, how crucial is your leadership team? Uh, because you can't be everywhere all the time. Right. So how crucial is, is you, you talked a couple of times about having the right people in the right place. How crucial is having the right leader, uh, that reports to you throughout the organization? Yeah, and that that's I think what's propelled us over again the last few years is we did a uh, a bit of a reorganization, and now I have three um, C level people that report into me: chief of operations, chief of commercial. So we've brought in sales, marketing, customer experience, and business development all under one roof. Uh-huh. Whereas before I had different people reporting into me, so it, it, you know it wasn't siloed necessarily, but you didn't have a a common you know uh, goal. They weren't huddling together every day yeah. talking about what, you know, we need to do from a customer perspective. And then I've got kind of a CFO who handles, um, IT, HR and finance. Got so, it. um, that, ha- and then getting those three to work in concert when you have that, it's, it's just truly dynamic. So, that's what we've done over the last few years that kind of set us up for it, you know, not just today, but I think for a good run right now for us to grow um, because the people I have are capable of really taking this business to to a different level. So the organization um, and, and, and then getting the, you know, the right people, two of those people are new to the organization in the last three years um, that again, truly align with the BC way that that has been, you know, incredibly powerful. 
That's great. And so how do you develop the people uh, within uh, BC as part of the BC way uh, and, and do some learning and development and, and identify those who are ready for the next step in their career or, or promotion? Um, well, you know, we have a pretty, um, pretty robust onboarding process that involves, you know, the, some of the cultural aspects and, and really, especially at the, at the leadership level, um, we take two weeks to walk them through the entire organization. They sit with all the different departments and they get an appreciation for, you know, the business as a whole, but also, um, you know, each of the functional areas and their challenges and what they're trying to accomplish. So it gives people a real good sense of um, how they fit, how they fit and how they support the organization and, and how the others are as well. Yeah. Um, and then we, we, we spend a lot of time um, and energy and money um, with training. It's ongoing um, and training on lean and training on, you know, all the aspects um, of problem solving and, um, you know, what, what, how do we, how do we look at processes to ferret out opportunities for improvement? Um, we have, you know, a very vigorous uh, and active idea board and, you know, how we process those ideas into action. And, you know, we've got a, a steering team for our continuous improvement program. So it, it's, <clears throat> it's just, it just has to, it has to happen pretty continuously. Um, yeah. You know, and there's, there's constant reminders. Um, another thing that we have a program that we started um, a while back is called the golden bar award. Okay. And um, it is a pass around award, a recognition that any employee can recognize any other employee for really exemplifying, you know, the core values uh, and the BC way, you know, somebody, you know, blows off a vacation day to take a, a drive a product down to a customer or, you know, um, stays late to, you know, clean up a, you know, a spill on the floor or whatever, um, you know, just, or just kind of, you know, somebody, uh, another department's overwhelmed and somebody, you know, jumps in, you know, takes something off their plate for some period of time until they can get their head back above water. So it's amazing. And we do that on a monthly basis and we give out, um, BC bucks, which are these kind of, you know, fake dollars, but they collect them they get, you know, they get them. And they can trade them back in for in our company store for a different swag. Or we have gift cards to, you know, Lowe's or Dunkin' Donuts, you know, supermarkets, gas cards, things of that nature. Um, so this kind of this revolving um, reward system that's in place. But the Golden Bar Award, you know, you stand up, bring the whole company together, and we talk about and read off what the nominations were. And, you know, it's amazing to see what, you know, people are doing. But that that gives that positive reinforcement. And there are people, you know, I want to get the Golden Bar Award. So they they, <laughs> they really strive to do, you know, do the right thing. That's awesome. Um, so very cool. Very cool. Um, so you, your journey so far has been 
amazing and and you know you you were doing cultural things before it was a buzzword right you you recognize the need to to make some change internally um and, and just knowing you the way i do i i don't think you're necessarily ever going to be a hundred percent stagnant right or or uh satisfied satisfied isn't no. the right word but i i think you're always going to want to grow your culture right and evolve your culture so what's the future look like culturally for uh for bc where where do you want to get it to so i i just want to uh, touch on one other piece that i think is um critical because yeah. I talk about kind of behavior and everything else. But I think, um, you know, my dad was an immigrant from Italy, came over when he was 17. Mm -hmm. um, and in the early years, you know, a lot of the employees were, you know, Italian, uh, Italian descent. And, um, and over, the, over the years, as we've grown, and, you know, really in the early 2000s, um, we were growing very rapidly and we were bringing people in from all over the world and was one of my ops uh, managers at the time and had this brilliant idea. I said, you know, hey, you know, we've got all these different, you know, nationalities and everything. And why don't we, why don't we buy a flag and hang a flag for each one of the countries of origin of one of our, you know, employees. <laughs> and we're up to 17 flags, Jim. <laughs> we have 130 people. We have 17 different immigrant nationalities in our company and when wow. you come on board if you're from a country that is not part of you know will within two weeks we have your flag up on the wall wow and what that what that does and i've gotten a lot of feedback from these new employees is they immediately feel included they immediately feel part of the bc team and the bc family yep and it's become such a source of pride for everybody in the organization and no matter what what your background is or where you're from as long as you adhere to our bc way core values and service vision you're accepted you're part of the team and, and you know and we're all moving forward together um and so i guess in some ways we were doing dei before there was dei i mean this is over 15 years ago and now we have international food day every year where people bring in their culinary you know specialty and everybody gets to try these different things and um you know we hold a lot of other events you know over the course of the year uh to help build you know kind of that uh take a take a deep breath you know kind of socialize a little bit together and um and and that's also very important it's not just you know demands of hey you've got to do this but it's taking time to appreciate the people and what they bring to the table um so the cultural aspect um of the multicultural, you know, kind of company yeah. that we've built is also really, um, I think, somewhat unique and really um, a source of pride for for everybody on the team. As it should be. Uh, I've never heard of anything like that, Steve. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've been in hundreds, if not thousands, of shops over twenty plus years, and that is that's one of the coolest things i've ever heard that's really neat yeah yeah it's 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 great so so 
how do you build on that momentum? How do you build on on what you've built so far? Where where do you go from here? I think the the biggest thing is um, from 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 my perspective is um, as you grow is it's to, to strengthen it you know kind of with numbers, but get more people involved with the fabric of what it makes. In other words, um, when you're doing these different programs, um, you know, make sure that it filters down through the organization. So it's not even just senior management, but, you know, others are carrying kind of the water for what it means to be part of this group. And, and we're seeing that now. I mean, we really are. When there's another, you know, uh, great um, development over the last uh, four to five years is um, we, you know, as many manufacturing companies, um, you know, a lot of the senior management, you know, has white hair, right? So yeah. um, what we've done is, um, and I would say, you know, it, it wasn't all intentional, but it was, there was an intentionality to it that we needed to bring in um, a new, fresh kind of mindset, you know, and we, so what happened is we started bringing some engineers on for um, summer internships. Uh. And we realized the, 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 the incredible intelligence and, you know, vitality that they brought, it was just really infectious. And yeah. so we've really added a lot. We've got a lot of, you know, say late twenties, early thirties, um, mid management in the organization that are, you know, driving the day to day and just doing a fabulous job, but it's brought this kind of youthfulness and energy to the whole company. And it's been great. So you get the kind of the wise, you know, senior veterans, and then you've got these, this incredible en energy. Um, and, and so I guess building on that going forward is just getting more and more of that in where, you know, you can continue to look back and say, you know, we're just stronger today than we were because we're, we're adding all these elements and pieces together and the complexity of a business and society as a whole and not just, you know, sticking to your old ways, but looking at evolving how you do things and, you know, flexibility and things of that nature, but still performing at a very high level. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the goal at this point is just to, stay current, right? Um, stay current and and evolve so that you're always able to attract the best and brightest so you can continue to perform for the customers down the line. Wow. So in that same vein, um, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about your involvement in workforce development, NRL, uh, the NTMF, uh, those kinds of organizations and, and talk to us a little bit about, uh, the role that, that you see industry having in solving the skills gap issue and, and building that robust pipeline, uh, that's sustainable for manufacturing careers. Um, so I, I, I've been at this for, you know, 30 years anyway, in terms of my involvement, it started by going to some local association meetings. And, you know, after a couple of years of hearing everybody, you know, bemoan the, the lack of, uh, you know, skilled labor, um, I kind of said to myself, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to just talk about it, right? I'm going to try to try to, you know, uh, do whatever I can, um, even if it's a drop in the ocean, try to make a change. And so I think what's, you know, and in, in, in all those years, we've never been in an, in, in an environment that is so pro manufacturing from a public sector standpoint. Yeah. You know, you truly have um, the government's, you know, attention as to how critical manufacturing is. And we've been, you know, top of the mountain screaming that for 30 years and finally get the attention. Um, and, and so I think that's on our side now. And now it's a matter of um, public relations. I think, I think what's really, really important for manufacturers to kind of put themselves out there, show the, the industry in the best light, um, be involved, be active, you know, talking to schools, talking to, you know, um, your local officials, your state officials, get involved, you know, there's no substitute. And I think the more that people do that and the more companies and owners and, you know, people in the manufacturing sector that get involved, the more attention and the more inertia we have in terms of making some changes. Mm -hmm. So, it really is about, you know, you get what you put in. And I think I've never approached my involvement from a purely self-serving standpoint. Like I'm going to do this. So it helps my company. Sure. Um, I've done it because I wanted to help the industry. Um, but as a result, you know, one of the byproducts is that you're, you're seen and heard. And so people are attracted to want to help because you're helping. Right. So right. you get what you put in, you get, you know, in return, you know, multiple times over. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to have, you know, if you look at just the, the activities that you're doing and look, you want to get an ROI on every single thing that you do and all the time you spend, you're not, it's not going to happen. You right. got to look at it from a holistic standpoint um, and, you know, be kind of resolute and confident that if I do this over a period of time, um, it's going to be beneficial to, you know, the, the industry, but my organization as well. And so that's why I've always kind of taken the approach to, to, to be involved. And I, I really believe that people, the general public is, is, is missing, um, some great opportunities by not considering manufacturing for a career. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, in, in our company, uh, only about half of the workers are actually, you know, machine operators. You've got right. customer service, you've got sales, you've got, you know, production control and finance and purchasing and, and there's all these different things. And, you know, being part of something where you're making something, you're making a contribution and you're working with these, you know, kind of cool industries and products that, you know, um, you know, help put people in space or, you know, um, get a, 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 a knee replacement or whatever that really helps them with their quality of life. That's rewarding. And so, you know, I, I, I think I talked about what, you know, manufacturers can do, but I think the biggest um, assistance that we need as manufacturers, because many are small, you know, kind of family business who are, are very busy. Yeah. We need that. We need the backing of the government from a public relations standpoint to spread the word that there's a lot of good stuff happening in manufacturing and, you know, compensation is 
um, a lot better than a lot of these service jobs. Absolutely. You know? So, so there's, you know, there's that as well. And anyway, that's, that's just my, my stance on things. No, I, I think it's great. I, uh, the guest we had on last week or one of the, the six people that joined us, uh, is a gentleman by the name of Nate Bowman. And, uh, he's known as the weld scientist and he, travels the country uh, working with young people to get them interested in in careers in welding. And we talked for uh, a little bit about the parental uh, issue, right? And mm -hmm. uh, right now what we're seeing, at least out here in the West, and, and Nate kind of echoed it, maybe you can shed a little bit of light for the East Coast there, but the generation that has kids now that are looking at developing their career pathways are part of that generation, my generation, right? Graduated high school in the late 90s, early to late 90s, uh, may or may not have still had shop class, but we were part of that first generation that was really pushed into four-year degrees, right? Four-year yeah. degrees for all. And so now we're having kids that are starting to look at career pathways and we're seeing the same thing that happened to us happen with these parents. They're saying, oh, go to school, go to school. Are you seeing that same thing out uh, in your area with, with per parents? And, and in your eyes, how do we address that? Uh, yes, I think... We, we, we do still see that. And, and I would think to be honest, and it's no, it's, it's, it's probably most prevalent in the Northeast sure. because of the kind of, you know, hard driving mindset of a lot of people up here, you know, um, and the deep, um, you know, ties to, to education and certainly mm -hmm. in the Boston area. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Right. Um, the amount of universities and colleges we have, but, um, I do think that that people are at least beginning to take pause from that perspective because of the costs. And I think that um, I, I don't believe in um, tuition reimbursement. I think it's uh, uh, sends the wrong message. Sure. Um, I think that you know people should. Um, if, if, if government would do anything, they should get on the universities to, you know, to not have this, you know, kind of mentality. They can just raise prices 5% a year, um, <laughs> you know, and they need to get more in line, uh, you know, with uh, helping the, the greater population. But I think that, um, I think that there's work to be done there because it's still, you know, kind of this mentality. But I think what, people miss is you don't have just because you go into a trade doesn't mean that you can't ultimately get a four-year degree. Right. right. So, you know, but you can graduate into that. I think this idea of, you know, I'm going to go, you know, kind of, I mean, let's face it, a lot of the four-year college right out of high school is designed to help people find out who they are and all this kind of stuff. And that involves a lot of kind of extracurricular activities that, that aren't <laughs> necessarily related to pure education. Sure. Um, and I think that's what I think people feel like they're missing out on if they don't go to a four-year school. Sure. You know? um, but, I, and I'm not sure how you get around that. Um, but 
I think spreading the word that there are a lot of opportunities, you know, outside of that. And then you can, you know, we'll have people come in um, and start, you know, machining, but end up getting an engineering degree. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they find it's interesting, but they want to, you know, learn and, and advance their, their education and knowledge and still be part of this. So there are paths that are kind of non-traditional, but get you to the same place. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, and that was a unique take on it is that experience, right? And I, I don't know if, if I've heard anybody if you know, talk about that post high school, post secondary schooling experience that, that people get that really doesn't have much to do with their education. It doesn't have to do with, with going to classes at ASU or uh, Cornell or, or Boston College or anything like that. It's it's a socialization uh, of uh, what happens when you are on your own for the first time. And, right. and uh, I, I think that's almost more valuable uh, than the education in, in some instances. Um, so I, that's a unique take and I, I like that a lot. Um, it, we talk about, um, you know, the, the pathways and you talked about graduating from, you know, machinist into, or, or operator or, or whatever, uh, into, uh, the engineering. How do you think we can kind of accelerate that? Uh, I, I know in Arizona, there's a big push right now for, uh, dual enrollment, right? For high school juniors and seniors to also be able to take community college courses and, and the effectiveness of, uh, those students then being able to not only finish that, that community college, uh, associates degree or, or certificate program trade program, but they're also then going on into four year programs with the, the entry, the, uh, the gen ed credits taken care of already, right? Uh, is that a solution for us moving forward? Is is that dual enrollment? Yeah, I think we need to be creative in how we approach this stuff. So, you know, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense from my perspective. Awesome, awesome, uh, Steve. You've given us more than three initiatives that you've implemented uh, at Boston centerless uh as far as things that affected your culture in a positive way is there anything else that you want to add to the the great tips tricks and uh best demonstrated practices you've given us already uh, the only thing i would add is that um i think manufacturers should take advantage and learn what's available in their state for funding uh for grants and take advantage of those. So uh, Massachusetts has a workforce training fund grants that um, will pay for the instruction of various topics to help you, you know, advance your organization. Um, and we have, hmm, I mean, we got a grant to start our journey 28 years ago uh, to pay for all the consultancy and the time we have to match that within kind. Sure. It's not hard to do that when you're putting, you know, 10, 20, 30 people in a room right. um, for a few hours or a day or whatever. Um, but we, we have 
received, applied for and received a numerous grants over the last, you know, 25 years. <clears throat> um, and the last few, uh, we have continuously woven in um, English as a second language classes. Really? So, um, yeah, we've opened the door to not only the multicultural, but in some cases, non-English speaking employees. Um, we've done a lot to um, to bring um, non-English speaking people in, um, use translators at the supervisory level to assist them with, you know, job instructions and things of that nature, and then teach them how to, you know, read and speak English. And, and so that opens up the door to a broader uh, base of potential employees. Um, and there's work and there's time and there's energy associated with that, but um, it's very rewarding. And again, it's just this sense that, hey, these people at the company are really looking after me and helping me, you know, um, become more valuable, not only to the company, but for myself and, you know, my personal life and everything else. So I would say take advantage of, you know, kind of the grants at the state level and invest in your people because that builds a culture of, continuous improvement and continuous learning, which is critical to stay, you know, ahead and, you know, um, uh, in, in tune with the, the increasing demands that are put on our industry, you know, whether it's information technology, whether it's, you know, you know, industry 4.0 and all these kinds of digitization type things, you've got to have an educated workforce to do that. So invest in training. Wow. That's another big thing. Steve, that last bit, uh, the interpreters and, and non-English speaking uh, practices, that gave me chills, man. That was That's a really neat, that's got to build such trust with those incoming employees that they're then wanting to run through walls for you. Yeah, and it, it it's really really interesting to see the evolution, um, and and in some cases the employees kind of willingness to really take advantage of that and dive in. You know, we've got one example with um, a person came from uh, Bosnia and really had virtually no uh, English speaking skills. We put him in the warehouse, and you know, through a lot of instruction, was able to you know, kind of pull jobs and issue material to the floor didn't require a lot of English speaking, but he was aggressive and he wanted to earn more money. And, you know, we said, you know, you got to learn language. And so, you know, we put him through and he took and augmented it with some outside training. And in two years, he's now a supervisor and is making, I don't know, 50, 60% more than he was when he came in. Wow. So um, he, you know, and I actually, I think even more than that. Um, so he, you know, and now his his English is to the point where he can direct other people. And uh, and you're right. I mean, his loyalty, you know, to to Boston Centralist, um, because we were, you know, we lived up to our, you know, end of the bargain that if you do this, you get that. Um, and then, you know, somebody else comes in and he can tell that story. It's it's really powerful. That's that's absolutely amazing. I, I through LinkedIn, uh, get people from other countries reaching out all the time, uh, asking how to get uh, into companies as engineers 
in the US, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I never know where to send them. Uh, you might start getting some emails from me, Steve. Uh, That'd be tr- tremendous. Would love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I, I never know what to do with those notes, right? And I feel uh, for these people that want to create a different life for themselves, and they, they look at manufacturing careers as the way to do that in the U.S. And I just don't necessarily know where to to direct them. So uh, I'm gonna you're you're gonna be the first person I email uh, from here on out. Um, so uh, Steve, I really want to thank you for being on today. This was a great conversation, and uh, plan on taking the show on the road uh, over the summer, hopefully, and uh, would love to come in and see Boston Centerless uh, over all the years that we've known each other, uh, never been into the the facility. So I'd love to come check out your operations and, and fantastic. Love give to have the you. listeners uh, a peek into uh, some of the facilities that we're actually uh, talking with leaders from. So uh, can't wait to do that. Look forward to it. Uh, maybe we can get a, a dead show in uh, while, while <laughs> I'm out there. Uh, so everybody, that's a wrap for today's episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. A huge thank you to our guest, Steve Tomasi, for sharing his incredible journey with us and giving us a glimpse into the cultural journey of Boston Centerless. His vision for the future, his passion for innovation when it comes to culture and his commitment to building a positive company culture is truly inspiring. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you have any questions for Steve or comments about the episode, please contact us at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. And remember to subscribe to our podcast for future episodes featuring other experts and leaders in the manufacturing industry. Join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we will continue to explore company cultures in the fascinating world of manufacturing. Until then, have a great day and keep making things. Thank mm-hmm. you.